Welcome back to 10 Bounds Product-Led Growth Sales Development Podcast. It's a mouthful, but we're excited today to have Wes Bush from Product-Led, who also wrote the hit Amazon book, Product-Led Growth. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to dig into this topic. It's a fun one. It's a can of worms, I call it. <laughs> sales and PLG companies. So it's going to be fun. Yes. And I'm Justin Michael doing my best William Shatner impression on these podcasts. And I like to say that because there's a lot of neoclassical themes. So product-led growth, I've been researching the topic. Apparently, there are SaaS products right now and other products that sort of, well, they start out and they don't necessarily sell themselves, but there's either a freemium or an initial user type of setup and it gets seeded virally by the users. And then the sales folks can enter the process later or in a different strategy. So can you help us with the definition of product-led growth and help us to understand how you see sales fitting in? Yeah, no, absolutely. So product-led growth is really when you're using the product is like the main vehicle for acquisition, activation, even retention. And so whenever you think about that, a lot of people ask me like, hey, like, does that mean you need sales? So in some cases, no, that's the controversial part. In a lot of cases, it's yes. So I'll give you the, the two examples. So let's say you're selling like a product, it's like 10 bucks a month kind of deal. And that's the majority of your, your revenue just comes from that product, that price point. It doesn't really make a ton of sense to have sales in that whole process, giving people demos and showing them unless you're like Slack and it's like, $8 a month or something like that. And you can scale it out to, you know, fortune 500 companies when it makes a ton of sense. So uh, the answer is always in business. It depends in that particular case, but a lot of the best product led businesses that I've either helped build or have seen in the market doing extremely well, they do have a product that does the majority of the heavy lifting of the sale. And that means really getting people up to speed on the product, getting them to experience the value of the product. So the way you sell in a product-led business is very different than you would in a traditional sales-led enterprise. That's very helpful to understand. Uh, where does the SDR team fit into this strategy? Yeah. And so a lot of times they don't call it SDRs and it could be wrapped up. I know Zendesk, for instance, they had their customer advocacy group and they would just be focused on, okay, make these trial users successful. That's all they were tasked with. And they did a lot of the same roles that a SDR would be doing, but they're also really great at understanding how people or where they get stuck in the product and how to help them. So it's definitely more kind of a proactive support role that will help people, but help them become successful in the product so that when it comes to that decision to make the sale of it, this product can deliver on its promise. A lot of the selling there has already been done. Yeah, that's super innovative. Can you give some examples of companies that have integrated PLG or product-led growth and sales development well? I'm going to say Snowflake because shout out to Lars Nielsen, who's been a friend and mentor since his days at True Ventures and uh, behind Outbound Works. I used to visit with him a lot and talk about some of the Cloudera scenarios, but I've been hearing amazing things about Snowflake as a kind of a lighthouse story here. Love to get your take on them and others. Yeah, so Snowflake's done an incredible job on that as well. There's a few. The three like that initially came to the top of mind are one, OutSystems, and there's Drift, and then uh, the last one is Arty Station in Brazil. So all of them were around like above 750 employees. And one thing that I've thought they've done very differently as they've approached this is, for instance, for Drift, when someone signs up for their product, there is 
two options, basically. You can choose your own adventure. You can go into the product and completely self-serve if that's what you want to do. Or if they realize, hey, this is more enterprise style customer, they're just going to show you the option of like, hey, we would love to walk you through how to use this product. Because if it's the CEO, for instance, of a Fortune 500 company, that CEO is not going to get much value out of using that product because he's not going to be the one deploying it at the end of the day. And so you really do have to match what journey does someone want to take? And I think Drift has done a good job of integrating that. So it's choose your own adventure. And then when I look at RD station in Brazil, one of the things they've done really interesting, Ali, is they just divided up their sales teams. So they had low touch sales teams and they're just focused on really the free users and really how to turn those people into paying customers. And most times the low touch sales group focuses on the smaller accounts. So those SMB, maybe mid-size accounts, whereas the high touch sales team, the one that they usually would just use for your traditional sales at company, they're still just focused on enterprise buyers. And that's actually one of the interesting things because a lot of sales teams, whenever a company decides, okay, let's go down this product-led way, they get a little scared. And rightfully so, because they start thinking, hey, is the product going to like take my job because it's just selling itself kind of deal? And that's not true. So what often happens is sales is the most resistant initially. And then after they start realizing, oh my goodness, the product's like taking care of all the small accounts that were just eating up all of my time. And now I can dedicate more time towards actually selling the enterprise deals and actually adding a ton of value to the sales process in that process. So yeah, those are some of the examples that really get me excited about seeing sales in PLG companies. Yeah, I really, I really like those examples. I think it's really important to understand the mix. Like one of the problems with SDR in general is you have a sales development rep greet the customer, do discovery, and then you have to run the discovery again with an account executive, and then it moves all around the org chart. What are some of the pitfalls that should be avoided in going this direction? I mean, people, people get excited about the next shiny object and they think, okay, we got to do SaaS. Okay, we got to do product-led growth, but maybe that's actually not the right fit. So they don't, you know... <laughs> The model's wrong, but they're enamored with the idea. So, I mean, I know there's been a lot with like lean startup and the, you know, product market fit and the minimal viable product and using ads to figure it out. You know, how do you know when you've got a product-led growth product? And I think I just asked you four questions at once, but can we have like a dialogue around advising people on how to figure this, this model out? Yeah, no, it's a common question I got like a bunch of times. And the framework I built for like, just trying to see like, you know, is this the right fit for you right now? I call it the Moat Framework. So there's basically four pieces to it. The first part is really just your market strategy. So what does that look like for your business? Let's say for instance, you and I, we're gonna start a business and go up against HubSpot. Okay, great. So HubSpot's like a dominant player in the CRM space. What are we gonna do to really stick out? So we might decide, you know what? The real estate market, they're not really being taken care of with the CRM space. Maybe there's some unique things we could do there. So we just say, all right, Dustin, we're going to start a real estate CRM and really be a differentiated player on this end. And so that can actually work really, really well if that's your strategy. But the problem there is because you're getting so differentiated and so specific to some of these markets, that might mean from a product perspective, the product is a bit more complicated. And so maybe in that case, it makes it a lot more sense to do more of a sales-led approach of really breaking into that market. Whereas if you are, let's say Google, and you're looking at Microsoft Word and saying, you know what, they just own the document space. 
Uh, people are just using Microsoft Word every time we see you know, documents shared. And we want to get a, a bite of that market. Um, so what do we do? Well, in that case, if they said, let's go all sales-led, it actually wouldn't have worked. What Google decided to do is let's take a disruptive strategy. Let's actually just give people Google Docs for free for the majority of users. And so we can get them away from Microsoft Word, which is over-serving their customers, and launch something that's really might not be as comparable of a product, but it's going to get people away from that product to our product into our ecosystem. And so the market strategy is probably one of the most important pieces you need to think about because there's no right or wrong way to go about it. But you do have to understand what game do you want to play in your specific space? If you want to be completely differentiated, totally go up that enterprise path, that's okay. You can do that, but just know that you might be saying no to that SMB space of your market because someone else with a different business model is going to be able to compete there much better than you can if they have a product-led model. So that's the first piece. The second is really just your ocean conditions. So are you in a blue ocean or a red ocean? If it's like a super competitive space, chances are the only distribution model that makes sense for you is a product-led model. Whereas if it's a new entrance or market, you might want to think like our sales team is adding a ton of value here. So let's keep them there because they're adding a ton of value, helping people understand the problem and the challenges they're going to face if they don't have this solution. And so the other two are really, you can change them as you go about it, but I do think they're important. The next one is really your audience. So who are you targeting? If you're just targeting Fortune 500 CEOs, okay, they're not going to be able to pick up your technical product and get value from it. So you really do have to change on your ends, going from targeting buyers to targeting users. And so that's something that's actually under your control, which is great, but you do have to make that transition. And the last piece is just time to value. So if you have a product that it takes forever for someone to experience the value of a product, maybe it's not the right time for you to go product-led right now because the tricky thing about being product-led is it's really in that first time someone signs up for your product, 40 to 60% of users will either decide, you know what, I'm going to come back or I'm not. So you can lose over half of the people in that first experience. So if you have a long time to value, you really do have to watch out for that. So those are the first four things I would mention to be conscious of before you make this decision and pull the plug and say, you know what, let's just go full throttle on this uh, without thinking about those four things. Yeah, that was very well put. So let me ask you, do you think there's, it's funny, I run this show like Beyond Sales Development, this podcast. I wrote this article four years ago where I predicted that potentially some startup companies would have SDRs go away. Now it doesn't mean sellers go away, they go farther down in the funnel. But what product-led growth means is that, you know, all sales could be gone. Should teams, you know, should some teams be running like with no sales team at all because they've nailed this motion or will there, will there always be, will there always be sales? Yeah. So it was funny. Like whenever I was writing the book on product that growth, I spent like weeks and weeks and weeks trying to figure out like, what is this subtitle of the book be? And I was like, okay, finally, like I asked Nuriel and a bunch of other authors. He's like, just do it. Like how to build a product that sells itself. And so like, it's a big promise, but why I decided to like double down on it and really stand behind that promise at the end of the day is because yes, your product should be able to sell itself. Now, that does that mean it does every single piece of the sales process? No, but when you think about 
how you buy a traditional product. Let's take it to shoes, for instance. Like you're gonna be able to try it on, go ahead, see if it's a good fit. And if it is, the majority of the buying person, maybe not the transaction of actually going out to the retail outlet when you could do that and actually purchasing it, but the majority of the sale has been done. So in some cases, you're absolutely right. You can do it without that sales team. But what I've seen work really, really well is tacking on PLG to a traditional sales-led motion. So what this will look like is you use your PLG model, you use your premium model to get a mountain of people finding out about your particular product. And as they're learning, as they're going through your product, you're simply just scoring them with a product qualified lead model or something. It doesn't have to be fancy, but what you're looking for is what are these people doing in the product? How are they getting value from the product? And when can we support them better? Where do they get? And so when you mix that, both the PLG and the hybrid model together with your sales team, you can do some really powerful things. Because like I mentioned earlier, your sales team at that point doesn't have to be focused on that SMB or the small, really small companies um, that they just can't afford to support one-on-one whereas they can focus more on the enterprise buyers. And so that's really what I feel like the majority of companies are going to be more of a hybrid mix than just pure PLG, because there's not too many markets outside of like the B2C space um, where that will make 100% sense. But I do agree, like you do have to start with figuring out how could we get a product that can sell itself? Once you do that, then how could we scale this further with a sales team that will be able to expand into these accounts? So I actually pulled this quote because I read a lot of history. Peter Drucker, the aim of marketing is to know and understand the customer so well, the product or service fits him and sells itself. Remember that quote, and it kind of feeds into PLG now. Does PLG roll up to marketing or roll up to sales or both? Like what's the, right? What's the infrastructure look like to nail this or does it depend? Yeah, it depends on every team. I wish I could say like we have the product that someone we interviewed like 300 plus speakers on this. And like, that's one of the questions I asked them too. I'm like, where does this metric really live? And it is all over the place because it is like in its infancy at the end of the day. Like I've seen a drift, for instance, their head of self-serve, like he has a revenue target, just like a salesperson, but he's in the product team and they're just focused on, okay, we got to turn these people into happy paying customers without talking to them. And we got to do that as best we can. And so there is circumstances like that, where that makes a ton of sense. But where I'm seeing a lot of overlap is on that metric of a product qualified lead. So what that is, is really just like monitoring who is using your product. And you can still use a lot of the same demographics as you would in a marketing qualified lead, but you're taking it one step further and saying, okay, we're still looking at that firmographic, demographic data and all that interesting stuff. But we're looking at it as well to see who's actually experienced value from the products and is a good fit for our business. And chances are when you reach out to those people, they are going to be the best fit people. And that's actually, whenever I talk to sales teams, whenever they make this transition, they're like, give me more PQLs, give me more. These are the best leads ever because they get it and they just want to support them more. And so that is one of the big overlapping metrics, regardless if you're in marketing, uh, because if you're marketing, they're going to be looking at how many of those campaigns you're running drove product qualified leads from a sales perspective. You know, how many of those product qualified leads are you closing from a support perspective? Like how many of those PQLs are you supporting as well? Uh, So it really just ties in teams around this whole concept of your user success eventually will become your success, but you got to measure that in the product to get everyone aligned. 
Yeah, so for those who don't understand product qualified lead, this model is really unique because it's not just a market qualified lead because they downloaded a white paper, filled out a survey. This is someone who's already actively using your product and there may be usage metrics of how often they're logging in and how often or how deep they're going on certain features. So it's it's very different. It's like if all the car lots just had open cars and you saw who drives the car the most and seems to enjoy it and then you decide to sell it to the people who are driving the car the most. It's a very bizarre backward framework. That's the PQL, the product qualified lead. And we all know about you know, MQLs, market qualified leads and sales accepted leads. So I just want to define more because I think a lot of people here are just scratching their head. Where's it going? Like, can let's do some futurism. Like how many SaaS companies, what percentage do you think will embrace the hybrid PLG over the next, you know, two to five years by 2025? And what are some of the futuristic ways companies will be built that you've predicted now doing all this research? Because similar to you, I've done so much SDR research that I have some strange theories about where everything's going. I've been looking at this too long. <laughs> yeah, no, as far as like, it's hard to do percentages, but like within two to five years, I would hope it's around like 40% at least are product-led companies. I think that might be somewhat realistic, but looking forward to the next decade, I think that we're going to be starting to look at areas where the vast majority of companies are definitely going to be product-led for that specific area. Because if you look at just the, the balance spectrum, like how many enterprise companies are there for every small, medium-sized business? It's like the lion's share is in the S&B space for all businesses. Does that mean like the majority of the revenue is there? No, not necessarily, but I'm definitely seeing more and more companies in that space. So if you can build a product for that space, it's growing very fast. Uh, whereas enterprise isn't necessarily the same. So I definitely see that going forward. But what's actually interesting when you think of this whole concept of PLG and what is really powered by free. So think about this. Here's an idea I've been mulling on while around like the futurism piece, but I see a lot of like tech giants just acquiring products where they're giving it away for free to get more and more people into their ecosystem, finding out about the product and using it for free. And I've started to see some other PLG examples of this, like ConvertKit, for instance, they built a landing page tool where it was really, if you know ConvertKit, they're like an email marketing platform. So they want you to send more emails. So they realized, yeah, people are going to be more successful if they have more emails. How do they get them? Landing pages. And so they just gave away this product completely for free. And so I think we're going to start seeing a lot of marketing teams thinking product-led as well, where they're saying, you know what, we could write a thousand articles on landing page optimization, everything around the sun of landing pages, or we could just help them. We'll give them a free tool. And maybe it's an acquisition. Maybe it is just tacking on to the product. But I really do think you're going to have to think a lot bigger to be successful in SaaS in the next big part. Because when you think of like, what is a moat for some of these businesses? Free is a pretty hard moat to compete with. Because if you're trying to sell like a thousand dollar landing page tool, when something is given away for free, better have better specs or something that they care about, or else it is going to say, yeah, you know, I'm just going with the free option. That's what floats my boat right now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of how Google that undercutting, you know, could just provide so many of this stuff, so many of these things for free. Education, how do people learn about this? I mean, you've got your book on product-led growth. It's on Amazon. People should pick that one up. What other books do you like? You know, there's probably under five right now. <laughs> it's so new. So OpenView is doing some cool stuff. Like which blogs, which VCs, which, what are the resources? Just, just rattle some things off, please, including your own environments. Cause I just want to point everyone listening to, to the right place to learn. 
Yeah, for sure. So we do have like a free product-led growth community where there's like over 6,000 people now who are just like actively every single day posting their questions as they're going through this journey, figuring out, you know, how are other people doing it? Because I think a lot of companies right now, people are feeling like they might be alone and maybe the only person thinking about this. And so it is important to have peers around that. So if you want to find out more about that, you just go to productledcommunity.com. But for the rest of like the product-led platform, we're just trying to give as much away for free, really eating our own dog food. So we actually do have a free product-led growth certificate. Like if people want to go through, just get their, dig their teeth into what this is all about, share it with your team, get more people on board. And that's just at productledcertificate.com. That's awesome. What about other books or blogs or people to follow? Yeah. So as far as other people to follow... I mean, there is the product-led summit. We have like 300 plus people who have taken a ton of time to share like just how they approached building a product-led business. So whenever I think like if you want to see how some of the fastest growing product-led businesses are doing this at scale and you can access all that content for free, that's just at productledsummit.com. That's awesome. Super helpful. Yeah, I, was like, I guess the next, the next question is, how do sellers who are afraid of losing their job wrestle with this? You know, it's different, I think, for entrepreneurs and founders who can control it. But sellers are worried about, you know, artificial intelligence taking their job, machine learning. Now there's this product-led product -led growth paradigm. So how do you stay relevant as a sales leader in the company knowing that the shift is coming? They're going to keep some salespeople on. I mean, every example you've given pretty much still has a sales team, maybe at the enterprise level. I've heard people becoming more strategic, more consultative, moving into a more enterprise Mm -hmm. way of selling versus these transactional order taking or more inside sales looking motion. But, you know, I'm sure other people listening in on this are worried about the subtitle of your book, that the product would sell itself. And so the goal is like, what does an SDR or an AE do? Do they get closer to the product team? Are they willing to transition into more of that hybrid role where they're picking up the existing clients and growing it? Where have sellers been able to stick in and add value? Yeah, trend. so I'll give you an example too of like how you can make a huge difference as a sales uh, leader. So the company, once again, RD Station, uh, what they basically did is they, whenever they were making this transition, they identified like who is our top sales rep right now. And they found that person and they just asked them like, hey, are you up for this project? We don't know if it's going to work here, but we're going to try and give you a lot of these product qualified leads. We don't have any process whatsoever right now. We're just going to give you this product data with has some good accounts and we're going to start real small, real quick, but it's your job. You got to figure out how to convert these people. <laughs> and basically what they did, they just said, okay, run like wins and figure this out. And then what you're going to do is you're going to train the rest of your own team as they built up this leader. You're going to get a little team for this actually train those people and those people are going to train the other people and they just slowly started building this out so i think at the end of the day you just start small and as a sales leader start thinking how could i use this as an opportunity not something to run away from but really is a way to work smarter because i think at the end of the day like we hear all the stories of like ai machine learning like oh it's going to take all our jobs but it's really taking the biggest part of our job is kind of the minutia, the part that maybe we don't like as much. And if the product could do a lot of that heavy lifting, you could just work smarter and close bigger accounts, make more money than a day with a whole lot less work. So I just say, get on top of it, but also try and help your product team make this transition successful with closing some of those product-wide leads as you test this out and make the best of it. I love that. That's a great place, I think, to end the episode. Where can people find you on LinkedIn, your website? 
Yes. So feel free to reach out on LinkedIn, just Wes Bush, and happy to answer any other questions you have. Or if you want to just learn more about product that growth, just product.com. Awesome. My last question, which is kind of my signature is what's one quote that you love? Could be related, could be <laughs> philosophical and nothing to do with the discussion, but it, always meeting leaders like love to hear their favorite quotes. Yeah. So the one I've been like munching on for a while is you get in life what you tolerate. And I think it's like, it doesn't sound like a lot initially. I know I read it a couple of times. Like I didn't think much of it, but like everything in your life is like a decision of like, oh, are you tolerating this? Like, hey, you're like cars breaking down or whatever. Like, are you tolerating that? Should you up it? And so I think in even like business and so many other things, like you got slow growth, like why are you tolerating this? There's so many different things you can think about, but I think it's easy to get complacent and become tolerant of stuff when it's like, at the end of the day, that's the life you're going to get because of that decision. And to really stand out, you need to shake it up. Who's that quote by? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll get it. It's like an aphorism, like poor Richard's almanac or, you know, Ben Franklin or something. Well, Wes, it's been awesome meeting you. Thanks for educating us a little. Everybody, please buy his book, Product-Led Growth on Amazon. And don't don't be afraid that everything's going to sell itself. We, we need great sellers. Hang in there, learn about product-led growth. It's the trend of the 2020s. And we'll have you back on the show. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Dawson. You got it.